Let's open God's Word. Um, let's start with John chapter 4. Grab, grab your Bibles or tune in on the screen. John chapter 4. And uh, we're not going to read this whole story, just a little snippet of the passage. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 4, verse 10. We'll start at verse 10 and read to verse 15. All right. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me of this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your awesomeness and just being such a good, good father that we spoke of earlier. I pray that this message today, that as we get to dive into it, we can see it, we can read it, we can look at it, we can understand it, we can apply it, but most importantly, we get to grow closer to you in the process. So I pray that all of our hearts and minds be clear and that we can focus on your word this morning in your house. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, a few, a few weeks ago, we had the, the baptismal um, service at the river, and that was you know, great and uh, wonderful. Never forget it. And um, there was a couple of things I was reading beforehand, because um, in, this, in this little manual, it's this, this mini pastor instructional manual I got from some of my classes. And I was reading it, and one of the things it says, please make sure you have the appropriate baptismal trousers. Now, this is a little older you know, book here baptismal trousers I read that and I looked down and I had my um, bathing suit on with the American flag bathing suit and stars I looked down and I had my little uh, sandals on with the web toes where you have the little toes you know each one's got their toes and I looked at Renee and I said baptismal trousers how do I look and she kind of chuckled and then Huff of course said something when he saw me he said oh this must be the new Baptist way to do this and uh so that, that was one helpful hint that I had to make sure I had the right baptismal trousers. And the other thing is that if, if you're um, you know, having the ceremony in a river, make sure that you uh, face you know, the person downstream. Right? And I was like, okay, let me think about that. Right? Because yeah, if you face them upstream, and now the river wasn't flowing, you know, really flowing, but if you face them upstream, when you take them down, they'll get that water you know, just rush up their, up their nose and in their face. They'll get a little too much to drink. Right? And we don't want that much to drink. So we, we kind of did it neutral. We did it to the bank there so that nobody got too much to drink. Um, so, but Huff also just mentioned cancel culture. You can get too much to drink in a lot of different ways. right? And we often fill our minds. We fill our hearts. We fill our, um, just our souls with the wrong stuff. Because we're drinking from the wrong well. And so today, it's, it's not an expository sermon. Today is a topical sermon to where we just pick a word or a concept, and that concept today is simply thirst. And I've enjoyed preparing for this sermon today. And uh, just so you know, it's fun. 
Just pick a word and look for it throughout all Scripture, and you'll see it and how different stuff connects together. So it's very good. So today we're going to look at the concept of thirst in the Bible and how refreshing it is. You know, when you first get up in the morning, you haven't had enough to drink or you've been playing too hard, and you take, by the way, Huff said a couple weeks ago, you know, church messages are sponsored by Bass Pro Shop. Well, today we're sponsored by Gatorade. Not really, not really. So you might have to edit that out or they might have to come charge us. But anyway, free advertising, right? But you, you get up in the morning and you drink that first sip of water in the morning, and it feels so good. You can feel it. You can feel it going down, right? It's just refreshing, right, that cold water. Last night I had kind of the same effect but opposite effect because it, it got a little cool yesterday in the rain, and uh, Renee made some soup last night, and I picked up my bowl of soup, and I just drunk it, and it just filled the warmth, right, just going down. I was like, well, that wasn't the effect I was going for, but hey, it was refreshing. It was nourishing, right, for that, that warmth. So whether it's the cool or the warmth, or that warms your spirit, Right, that thirst, right, is just so awesome. So we're going to talk about this concept of thirst. So what is thirst? Simply define it. I like to go back to the 1828 dictionary just because it's fun and challenging and see how words change. Um, but the Webster's 1828 dictionary says that thirst is a painful sensation of the throat or faucet. So our faucet is the back of your throat area. So everywhere in the back of your throat, it's looped together. Occasioned by the want of drink. The modern Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that thirst is a feeling of dryness in the mouth and the throat that accompanies a need for liquids. Right? So that's our physical definition of thirst. But oftentimes in the spiritual concept of thirst, or even just in how we use thirst in, out and about today, it's a, a thirst is a want or a desire to have something. Right? We thirst for different things in our lives. So, for example, a couple of different areas that we thirst for. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but a few that first pop up. We thirst for knowledge. Right? We, we thirst for knowledge. Um, you might argue that. <laughs> Some people don't thirst for knowledge, right? But a lot of people, we thirst for knowledge. We want to grow. We want to learn. Right? I attended a seminar last week that said, all right, everybody draw a circle. Right? So you don't have to do this, but draw a circle. Think about a circle. Right? And you put on the top of that circle the word knowledge. So this is all the knowledge that's available in the universe. All right, now take a little pie sliver, right? Call it, call it 1% if you want to give yourself way too much credit. But then label that piece of the pie as knowledge that you know, okay? Now take another little sliver of the pie right next to it, all right? And say that is the knowledge that you know that you don't know, all right? You know that you know, don't know some stuff, okay? But now take the whole rest of that circle as knowledge that you don't know that you don't know you didn't know nothing about. Okay? Right? And the whole purpose of that is to say, hey, we don't know everything. We will not know everything. Now, this wasn't a, a spiritual seminar, but I got to think, it was like, but I know a God that does. Right? I was like, oh, yeah. Right? So, but that thirst for knowledge that we continually have in our lives is a type of thirst. Um, and, and we come and we grow in that. You know, Renee is looking at um, becoming a lactation consultant, right, to help young mothers. That might be an opportunity for, for Abacare. I'm lear learning to be like a financial coach so that I can help young families. What, what, what are you thirsting for? What's your area of knowledge? Where do you want to grow? Where do you want to contribute? Where do you want to serve? Thirst for knowledge. The next one is the thirst for praise. Think about the thirst for praise. Now, we haven't had um, many people over in a while due to, due to the whole COVID thing. 
Uh, but if you happen to come over to our house, you will have a, round, a rousing rendition of show and tell for about two hours. All right? And um, because my children love to say, hey, look at this craft I've done. Hey, look at this song that I like. Hey, look at this football card I got. Hey, look at this. Right? That's cool. It's fun. Right? And we're going to hang out, look at each other. But that thanks for praise for whatever we're going through. And, or, or what we have and, and what we enjoy. And, um, that, you know, we have to balance that with humility. But all of us have certain thirst for, thirst for praise, you know, that we, we do a job well done. Now, this thirst for praise is one that, that is, I've had to struggle with this week. I've had to struggle this week. Renee and I have um, talked a little bit about it. The, um, our flag football season isn't quite going as it um, was expected to be. And uh, yesterday there was a situation where um, Papa Bear... And Mama Bear had to come out. And um, I was thinking last night about where'd that root cause, what's the root cause, right? I'm all this problem solving. I'm going to look at Randy and we'll talk about some Six Sigma problem solving here. But what's the root cause of, of why Papa Bear had to come out? And, um, you know, a lot of it, part of it comes from I've been doing stuff all season, but nobody said anything to me about it. Nobody said, Thank you for doing this. It's a little bit of the root cause of why Papa Bear had to come out. Now, nobody needed to talk to my daughter the way that they did, but Papa Bear came out, right? But you always have to learn from different experiences, and Mama Bear came out, and I don't see that very often when Mama Bear comes out, right? But there's that thirst for praise that we often have that if left unchecked, and so last night I kept going back as I was trying to wind down, Audience of one, audience of one, have preached that a while back, of who should we be doing things for, who should we be seeking the praise of, but who should we be praising, right? So that circle. So I stand here before you today highly convicted of the fact that I actually stand in this pulpit when I know my, my mind's not quite where it was needed to be yesterday. I told Joe yesterday, I was like, on the way home, I was like, I'm glad I'm not preaching in one hour. He goes, why not? I was like, because my mind ain't right mind ain't right but that's my challenge that's where I'm growing this week we always should be growing and I'm being challenged this week the next one's a fun one we thirst for fantasy football <laughs> what yeah I put that in there to have a little fun because my fantasy football story is when I started playing fantasy football about five or six years ago it was all not all day every day it was every day I was checking it every day anybody play fantasy football few hands not many a few hands right but essentially right you pick your players they play on Sunday how well they do they get points you get more points than the other guy you're playing against well it was it was all Sunday after church even 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 your phone dings before church oh your player might be out your player might be you know you might have a better player on the bench and ding 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 ding. then Sunday you're oh how many oh my point and then people have lost so much money over fantasy football and I just got so assumed and then on Wednesday morning you get to pick new players and I was like Thursday night I have to spend an hour researching new players Wednesday morning did I get that player oh no they got that player I was like what in the world and then Friday the injury report comes out Saturday's the final practice before the game you got to stay tuned you see yeah, this is the problem yes and I said no more I said, not doing it. For three years, I didn't do it. This year, I did it. But I've got it limited to about 15 minutes a week. But I have a scout. 
He's 14. And um, his, his record in the league is 4-1 and one and mine is 2-3. and three. So there might be a reason there about how much time I'm putting into it. But you, know, you have things, you know, even, even this morning we were talking about food, and this was like, just moderation, just moderation, right? But anyway, the, the praise and where we, seek, where we seek things from, the praise, the seek for knowledge, it's just, are, are we thirsting for those things in our lives? And, and you can see from that fantasy football example, if we thirst for the wrong things, it just becomes too consuming, right? They will fill us up for a second, right? We thirst for these things. And th- these are areas of what I call thirst temptations, right? We're, we're tempted to drink from these areas, but they just don't fill us up at all, right? But we have to drink the living water that Christ offers. And then there's a transition in your life both day and night. One of the devotions that I read, it says, Without the living water of Christ, you go from the weary days of lack of comfort to a spring of joy, Right? So if you're drinking that living water, you go from this time of weary days and lack of comfort to a spring of joy. Has anyone ever physically drunk from a cool spring? Right? Yeah. How refreshing is that? Right? They even got these fancy safety straws now. I forgot to bring it. Darn. Forgot to bring the straw, right? But they got those heavy filters. And then the kids tried it one time uh, just a couple weeks ago. We went on a hike and, and we took the straw and you, you kneel down and you, you drink it through the straw. And it's just that cold, crisp, clean water. Right? And how refreshing is that cool, clean, fresh water from that well. That's kind of in the daytime. Without the living water of Jesus Christ, your nights are long due to the absence of heart-cheering thought. To when you drink that water, now there's a fountain of consolation for contentness and happiness. So no matter the area that you're seeking in, that knowledge, praise, happiness, what makes it after you drink that living water is something that's easily summarized as contentment, right, in our lives. That's how I kind of counterbalance these things of, of, of what you thirst for and what we should be thirsting for. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians, a uh, very common passage, Philippians 4, 10 through 13, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? You have that living water. You have this sense of contentment. Do you thirst for God? Do you? That season that I was going after fantasy football, was I going after God the same amount? No. You could tell by what I just shared I was going through. Mentally. Mentally, it was just taking up too much time. Physically, it was taking up too much time. I got up. At 3.55 on Thursday mornings. Because that is when you know if you got the player that you wanted. What? Totally. Totally. Not focused or drinking from the right well. But Psalms 42.10, excuse me, Psalms 42.1-2 says, As a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. Does your soul thirst for God? Gatorade. 
had a slogan. I didn't look up the years, but a previous slogan. It says, is it in you? I remember that one? Gatorade, is it in you? Is the living water of Christ in your life today? Is it? So those are a couple of the areas of the thirst temptations. Now, a couple of areas of where, if you have this thirst, how your life transitions. Once you drink from that well, your life transitions in a lot of different areas. And you're going to be at different walks here on these, in these areas of these transitions. So kind of the first area, the places you will go. Right? The places you will go. You will think, how in the world did I end up here? Right? Uh, we watched the series of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Kids hadn't watched that. We watched the first two or three a couple weeks ago. And the daughter's, the governor's daughter got put in, in jail. Um, she didn't really do anything, but she got put in jail and, and they had all these, um, you know, the, the creepy people around her and she's just sitting in this middle of the jail. And I'm thinking, you know, wherever we go. And then Paul writes that letter uh, from jail, right? That I can do all things through Christ. You know, where is he at? And what can we do no matter where we're at? I've heard stories of, of um, gas station evangelism. Where are you going to go? Once you drink from that living well, you're thirsting to share that living water with other people, no matter where you're at. You can be at the water cooler at work, right? You're going to want to share what Christ has done for you in your life. So the places you will go, you will transition from why am I here to how can God use me, right? That'll be a transition. The food that you will eat will transition. This is somewhat physical yet somewhat spiritual, right? But I was thinking about the food that you'll eat. Well, I was like, could I survive in the wild? Oh. How long will a 40-pound bucket of potatoes last me? How long will the apples on the trees last me? It's on the season, the berries. How long will it last me? Speaking of things to eat, everybody watch Dude Perfect? You should check them out. They're fun. Jonathan does. He likes it. They have this wheel, unfortunate, where they spin this big giant wheel and you have to do whatever it lands on, but it's often a series of unfortunate circumstances where, hence the name, wheel, unfortunate. We watched one, the last one that came out, um, he, he spun the paddle. Who was it? Cody or Corey? Corey spun the wheel. And he had to eat crickets. I was like, ha, 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 brother's been there. Then he had to eat a frozen ketchup popsicle. I'm like, oh, who thinks up this stuff, right? Oh, he didn't get the popsicle down. He, he, was, he, was, he was in the trash. He got the cricket down, but the, the frozen popsicle, right, he didn't get down. But as we, I would want a lot of water and a lot of Gatorade if I had to get that down, but that was against the rules. But what we eat when we drink from that living water should change. Look at John 6.35. John 6.35 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is not a digression into fasting. When's the last time you skipped one meal and just prayed about it? I couldn't think of the last time that I did that. Just skip one meal. Open the Word of God. Focus on Him. And let Him sustain you. If you go back and look in our primary passage in John chapter 4, 
the disciples came back to him after he spoke to the Samaritan woman. So in John 4, verse 34, excuse me, verse 31. John chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So when we drink that living water and we thirst for him, what we eat will be different. The places you'll go, the food you'll eat, and the relationships that you have will all be different when you drink from the living water. We are relational people, right? We are relational people. Genesis 2.18 says, Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All right? This is a little bit of marriage counseling. If you're mad at your husband or your wife, you say, it is good, it is good, it is good. All right? It is good, it is good. If you're upset with your husband or your spouse, it is good. God said, it is good. All right? That we should have a helper. I want to look at Psalm 68.6 as well. Part of God's redemptive work in the world is to put those alone that are lonely into families. So Psalm 68.6. Psalm 68.6 in the um, ESV says, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So God settles the solitary in a home. So those that are alone in a home. Now, I'm not going to read this big bad boy here, but if you don't have one of these, you should check it out. Maybe at your bookstore. It's a parallel Bible, so it's got multiple versions in it. So if you look at Psalm 68, 6 in here, in the uh, King James, it says, God setteth the solitary in families. Psalm 68, 6 in the NIV says, God sets the lonely in families. The Living Bible says, He gives families to the lonely. New Revised Standard Version says, God gives the desolate a home to live in. Right? We are relational people. I think that's why COVID has changed the landscape because those relationships, the physical connections and interactions have changed. But I think it's even more important here that the body of Christ and our church, he's given that so that we can help support each other because we are relational people. And relationships come and go, but our relationship with Christ should never end. Right? It should never end. We must continue to thirst for this relationship with Christ. Places you'll go, food you'll eat, relationships you have, and the shade you rest under. The shade you rest under. If you transition away from the temporal shade that you find beneath the shade of the rock of ages. So in Psalms 91.1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I actually preached all that a few weeks ago. Abide in the shadow of Almighty. It's kind of like it's, you think you know what you need, but it's not quite what you need. The other day I got home and I was like, man, I am so thirsty. I was like, I know I've drunk something today, but I had a Pepsi at lunch instead of water. I didn't drink anything else. But a Pepsi's not water. Right? So I had drunk something. I thought it was good for me at the time. But it didn't meet the basic need that I needed to have. 
I thought it was neat, in Jonah chapter 4. In the story of Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Jonah said, Jonah writes, Jonah, Jonah writes, Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Okay, hot sun, he built his own shade. Everybody got that? This is not deep thought here. You good? He built his own shade. Next verse. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. We're going to dive into the rest of the story. You ever think you make something that will help you, but God knows what you really need? Jonah made his own shade, but God's was better. God's was saved him from his discomfort. God's was better. And lastly, in this section, as far as a transition, the foundation of your hopes will transition. Those earthly hopes, those thirst temptations, they will dissipate to where we focus on the foundation of our faith and put that on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to go here to... Uh, <laughs> Slide over to the culture here a little bit because we all live in it. So we need to talk about it. Right? We need to train our kids in the way that they should go. So let's talk about it. Money, wealth, and taxes. Money, wealth, and taxes. If everyone only had more money, let's take it away from the wealthy. Let's pay less taxes and everything would be better. The whole world would be better. Matter of fact, let's build back better. I am tired of hearing about build back better. Because let's do this. Let's give more money here. Let's add this. Let's add this to this road and build. Let's build back better. I haven't heard one thing on the news that says, let's build back better with Jesus Christ. Has anybody had that, heard that? I haven't heard it at all. Let's put thousands and thousands, millions of dollars into a road or bridge that in 30 years is going to be what? Crap. That was nice. It's not, it's not going to go anywhere. Build back better. Build back better. It's spiritually just tense in my mind and in my heart. Because I know that what people need is Jesus Christ. They need to drink of that living water. But we're chasing all these other things. We need to build back better on some Jesus. The seminar I mentioned the other day was it was actually a Matson money experience. Experience. It was a um, two-day course on investing, and I was a little hesitant to actually go to the course because it's it's Matson money, the American dream experience. And I was like, hmm, hmm, because I'm used to the American dream um, in my mind with the Casting Crown song. And if you remember, it's the American dream. It's more like a nightmare with every passing day. For those Casting Crowns fans, you know that song. So I was wondering how they were going to go with this course. And he didn't focus on your wife, two kids, one boy, one girl, white picket fence. We've all fell for that American Dream experience. But what they were basing the principle on was the original 
documentation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you as an individual person, you get to decide what life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness looks like for you. And it was all about having a purpose for your money. What was the purpose for your money? So part of that class was, let's write a purpose statement for your money. So here's the purpose statement that I came up with. The purpose of our money, Coley Crew House, the purpose of our money is to use it as a recruitment tool for the kingdom of God and help educate and encourage the saints already on the team. Can you tell it's football season? As I'm thinking through that purpose statement. The purpose of our money is to use it as a recruitment tool for the kingdom of God. Whether that's fishing, right? Whether that's a turkey, whether that's a ham, a box of potatoes, a jacket. My money has a purpose. And to help educate and encourage the saints already on the team. Need a new Bible? Has your day been horrible? Need a little pick-me-up? You need a lunch? You need a coffee? Does your money have a purpose? Think about it. We actually talked about in the experience, there's a no-talk rule. You probably grew up in a house, there's a no-talk rule about money. You don't talk about it. You might not even know you didn't have a no-talk rule because you didn't talk about money. But think about it. But everything in your life should have a purpose. And when you drink from the living water that Christ offers, that purpose should be to grow His kingdom. So everything should have a purpose. Next point. There's a transition from emptiness to fullness. So you remember that visual and you have that container and you take that glass container or plastic container and you put big rocks in it and you say, is the glass full? Right? Everybody seen that? You're like, oh, is it full? Well, yeah, it looks full, right? But then they take some little small pebbles and they pour it in. Then they ask you, is it full? Some people say yes, some people say no. And then they take sand and they put the sand in there and all the sand goes in there. Is it full? Some will say yes, some will say no. And then what's the last thing? You pour water in it. And then it fills up even the other cracks. And then finally, it's full. The water is the last thing to really fill the container. Just like we have to have the living water of Jesus Christ in our hearts because that is the only thing that can truly fulfill us. That is the only thing. And when you drink that living water, the Holy Spirit moves in and helps you move those big rocks out. Right? Those other thirst that you're thirsting for, it gets it out. Right? Did the woman at the well get that initially? No, she didn't. All right, so turn with me back to our main passage, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, at the last part of what we read, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She just saw she didn't have to come to the well every day. Right? She didn't get it at first. She didn't get it. 
but it didn't take long for her to get it. Verse 39. Chapter 4, verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Her cup went from being empty to completely full in one experience with Christ. How amazing is that? There's a Jewish custom called Havdalah service where they take, they take a cup and they pour wine into that cup. And then that cup overflows. right? And it's symbolic. And they recite Psalms 23. They recite Psalms 23. I'm going to read Psalms 23, 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. When you drink from that living water, your cup should overflow to other people and offer them a drink of that same living water. Verse 6 says, Psalms 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As old song they used to sing with that one too. And that's just this drink of goodness and mercy of God's love for us. Have you ever, let's see, yep, people, this is kind of a quick transition, but people die with no water. Think about spiritual water, because they never drink from that well. A lot of us know where the well's at. A lot of us know how to get to the well. But just to make sure we cover all the bases here. It's a choice that every brother and sister has on which, or if they want to drink of the well or not. But the choice is pretty clear if you read the scripture. So let's look at these two briefly here. Luke 16. Luke 16, verse 24. I'm going to start out halfway through the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Verse 16, 24 says, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Where does he get to see into? He's seen into hell. Where all he longs for is for one drop of water. What's the opposite of that? Revelation 7, 15 through 17 says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple, who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, for the sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching heat. You see the two contrasts? You see the two choices that we have? It's pretty clear. There's no fence here. Remember I shared a picture a couple weeks back. Who owns the fence? If you're on the fence on whether to follow Christ or not, who owns the fence? Say it. Who owns it? Satan owns the fence. So are you going to drink from the living water? Another Gatorade slogan. 
for that deep down body thirst. It's another Gatorade slogan. For that deep down body thirst. You can make a choice to drink of that living water to satisfy that deep down spiritual thirst. So let's drink it. I could easily end right there. There's a choice, right? Heaven or hell, take it or leave it. It's all up to you. Yes, we should drink from the living water, the well that provides it. But God said, no, you need to think a little bit more on this. Sometimes I don't like it when he says that. But turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 28. John chapter 19, verse 28 says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. I just spent the last uh, 30, 35 minutes telling you that Jesus shared with a woman, if you drink from the water that I offer you, you will never thirst. I scratched the surface on four or five verses of Jesus telling people that I am the bread of life. If you drink from my cup, you will thirst no more. Now Jesus here says, I thirst. Hmm. The answer didn't come easy. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And there's a, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a great example of a quote that, that Huff and I both have shared with you before. But from St. Jerome, it says, The scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning. And deep enough for a theologian to swim in without ever touching the bottom. Right? So... A babe can understand it without the fear of drowning, but yet some theologians get so deep in it, so deep in it, so deep in it. They swim and they swim and they swim. So here's a couple possible things here about when Christ said, I thirst, what it means. It says the first possibility is to fulfill the scriptures. It says it in the text was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So what scripture was he referring to? He was referring to Psalms, uh, Psalm 69, 21. In Psalm 69, 21, it says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And that's exactly what they gave Jesus when he said, I thirst. Sour wine to drink. It's exactly what they gave him. Okay. That's simple enough. Jesus fulfilled his scripture. But don't take it. Don't stop there. Think, think, think about how powerful this was. Think about just a fraction of what Jesus went through over the last 18 to 24 hours before this point. What he went through. The flogging, the crucifixion, the, the, the torture, just the mental exhaustion, the physical exhaustion, the physical pain of what he went through. And he's hanging there on the cross. He's struggling to breathe. And he remembers 
a passage from Psalm 69:21. Now he didn't have Psalm 69:21, but he remembers a passage from that. See, we only like to focus on what God says when it tastes sweet. When it tastes sweet, love my Jesus. But when it challenges us, when it tastes bitter, we don't want to drink it. It's sour now, but the sweetness is yet to come. Without the bitterness of the cross, we would never have the glorious resurrection. So what are we going through now that is bitter, that will taste sweet on the other side. How cool is this? I read this quote. That Jesus Christ was so exhausted, but yet he knowingly said, I thirst. Jesus Christ knowingly said, I thirst to a Roman soldier that would unknowingly fulfill Scripture. Did you get that? How cool is that? How amazing is that? That Christ, everything that he went through, remembered this scripture. He asked for this scripture. He knew this. And that guard fulfilled the scripture. Second meaning of Jesus saying, I thirst on the cross. This is a babe one. Maybe he was thirsty. Maybe it's as simple as that. I'm thirsty. It's probably likely that for 18 hours he had never had a drink. I just kind of shared what he went through with the Roman flogging where they ripped his flesh, severe blood loss, severe water. He's just like us. He was 70% water. Crucifixion actually is so effective. That's where actually where we get excruciating pain from. Crucifixion, excruciating pain, which literally means out of the cross. So it's very likely that Jesus said, I thirst, because he was thirsty. Might have said it to fulfill scripture. He might have said it because he was thirsty. And along the same lines as the second one, he said it so that we'll know that he can sympathize with his followers. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then have confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time of need. You think you don't know? Nobody knows what you're going through? Christ went through everything. We're one of the only religions in the world where the Savior, the Messiah, chose to come down to live with us so that we could know Him and have a path through Him. All the other ones are some, I don't even know the right words, they're some just out of touch God with standards that just can't be met or materialistic and just all these different things. But we have a Savior that came to live with us. He says, mean folks, I know what it means to have nice folks who don't like you. I know what it's like to keep going when it's not easy. 
I know what it's like to be faithful when you wanted to quit two years ago. I know what it's like to die for people who don't appreciate you. Or my basic need of thirst goes unmet. Whatever you're walking through, the Savior knows what you feel like. He knows. Anybody ever watch Undercover Boss? Remember that show? Right? Top CEOs would right, go in disguise, incognito, come down, work throughout their company. Now, I remember I watched, I think the last one I seen was like a NASCAR one. Came down, worked with different folks, crew, and then they work alongside of them. They get to see the inner workings of their company. They get to know people, build some relationships over the few weeks they're doing it. And then at the end of the show, most of the times, you know, they, they find there's a lot of hardworking people that are trying really hard, and they reward them um, with, with different things that, that, um, that they need. In, in their life. You know, I've seen a couple, couple scholarships or, you know, a couple different things like that that these CEOs have given their workers. Folks, our Savior was an undercover boss. He came down to live with us, relationships with us, and then he rewards all of those that drink from the well of living water. If you ever watch that show again, think about it in a different light. Think about it as your Savior, Jesus Christ. And lastly, and the toughest one, but yet one of the most inspirational ones to me, is he said, I thirst, possibly because he was separated from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just like the woman at the well didn't know who Christ was, she was separated from him. But what's interesting is that John captures this. John captures this in his gospel. And John is the one that captures all of the I am statements. Most of them, right? John 8, 58 says this. John 8, 58 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. John chapter 6 says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 9 says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10 says, I am the door. John chapter 10 says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11 says, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 15 says, I am the true vine. I am. I am. Christ on that cross didn't say, I am thirsty. He said, I thirst. Very small yet major difference. Jesus' amnes, Jesus' amnes was never in question. Oftentimes when we go through a struggle, we go through a moment of suffering, we forget who we are as children of God. And we think that all is lost. But Jesus did not forget who he was, but he thirsted for the one that he was separated from. I'm going to leave you with this quote from Daryl Hall. I told Pastor Huff I'm a sucker for alliteration. But listen to this. Dr. Daryl Hall, he said, Christ didn't want Aquafina, he wanted the Almighty. He didn't want Dasani, he was thirsty for the divine. He wasn't thirsty for smart water, he was thirsty for a sovereign worker. Not for Fiji, but for the Father, was who Christ thirsted for. 
Who do you thirst for? Let's stand.